Playlist with Ben and Fiona. She is the first female filmmaker ever Mm. who has been erased from history. Oh, my God. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Yuen. Hi, Fiona. Hi. What are we talking about today? Well, we've got a great show to end the week. We're talking about the new female-led teen comedy, Booksmart, the post-apocalyptic cult comedy hit, Last Man on Earth, And as part of our NADOC celebrations, we're going to be chatting about the new Aussie comedy out of the Red Centre, Robbie Hood. And of course, we'll also cover off what we've been watching. Mm, Where to start? Well, why don't we start with Booksmart? We missed out. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. We are not one-dimensional. We are smart and fun. Excuse me. So it's the final day before graduation and high-achieving best friends Molly, Beanie Feldstein. Yeah, Amy's spending the summer in Botswana helping women make their own tampons. And Amy, Caitlin Diva. Well, blood attracts lions. I'm saving lives. Have foregone sex and partying throughout their high school years to get into top colleges. But after the shocking discovery that the classmates they look down on have managed to pull off both, they set off to experience one wild night before they graduate. We've seen this kind of teen comedy over one crazy night. Did you think that Booksmart brought anything fresh to it, Fee? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I think it stays in its lane. Like, it, it, it is very much setting it up as that one big night, that one big party night. But it just felt a lot different. I mean, I, I don't think it's only that it's two female leads here. Um, well, for one thing, it's funny, <laughs> which, you know, not all <laughs> that of them helps. are. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> and I think I've said before, but, yeah, when a comedy is not funny, you don't have much else to, to go on. Mm. Um yeah, I think some of the gags really work here. There is a real chemistry between the two leads. Like, you get that they're yeah. best friends. They have yeah, a yeah. real... I think the whole cast is really good. Yeah, yeah. They have a shortcut between them, but also the whole cast is in on the joke and it, it's mm. it's funny and it rolls along at a really good pace, I think. I, I, I had a good time with it. What, what about you? Yeah, no, it's it's really enjoyable. And I think what it really has is a, an authenticity yeah. that... These movies are they're often heightened, and that's not to say that this isn't either, but often the teenage dialogue doesn't really sound like something that teenagers would say. And yeah. I felt like this really did. I, I felt like if you were to pop your head into a high school and, and overhear conversations between friends and enemies, you would hear the kind of banter that, that you get in, in this, which I think sort of helps ground it. I think that there's, there's an interesting mix in tone, I think, between that sort of authenticity and, and even kind of naturalism in some of the scenes play out just between two friends hanging out. They're given space to breathe, which yeah. is really nice. Not everything is trying to hit you over the head with the big laugh, yeah. but the laughs are there. Yeah, they are there and they're, they're naturally there, as you say. Yeah, it doesn't – not every scene is set up for plot or a punchline. Like, it, mm. yeah, you – it, it does allow you to feel like, yeah, you're actually hanging out with friends here. And I like that the adults, as with a teen movie, the adults are a little bit dumb, but also they get some laughs as well. Lisa Kudrow and Will Fort are parents of... The parents of Amy. Amy, yeah. So, you know, they get a couple of laughs, but they're not in it too much. And Jason Sudeikis is in it as the bit of a goofball teacher. He gets a laugh, but he's not in it too much. Um, yeah. Wilford yeah. and Lisa Kudrow are, are really great. They, yeah. they, um, they're sort of described as Christians and their daughter, they know they've supported their daughter who came out a couple of years ago 
And there's they a running oversupport. The yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a running gag that um, Molly likes to pretend that she is Amy's girlfriend, and uh, much to Amy's distaste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's embarrassed by how supportive her parents are. Yeah, it's um, it's quite funny. And also, like their smug superiority a little bit at having lived, been the good students, because it's going to pay off in the end. And just the wake up call of, oh shit, we could have actually been having a really fun time. Because all these other, <laughs> everyone else has been and they're still getting into the Ivy League schools. Yeah, it's a funny setup because teenagers are smug and they do feel superior <laughs> when, <laughs> so I think they have foibles, but they're, they're yeah. entirely relatable. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's fun. Teenagers are very judgy and, uh, but this movie isn't. Yes. Um, I think it's kind of remarkable for movies in this genre who, you know, usually love embracing the mean girl characters mm. or giving a sense that. There's winners and losers out of high school. And this, you know, is quite different to that. I think that each character is treated with a lot of affection and, you know, ultimately each character is given a lot of integrity. I think that mm. there's um, a character I really loved that could have easily have been the butt of all the jokes, which is the rich kid, Jared, played yes. by Skylar Gazondo. And uh, I think in another movie, he just would have been um, a laughing stock. Yep. You know, he's the kid that doesn't have... He's got the money, but he doesn't have the friends. Yeah. And he sort of goes to ridiculous lengths, like um, giving every out T-shirts with photos of himself. But um, he's played so warmly and with so much pathos, really, you know, you really, you feel for him. Mm. And uh, and I don't think you, that would be true of a lot of teen movies. Yeah, absolutely. And like, this isn't to diss it and it sounds like, faint praise, but like, it's really nice. <laughs> like mm. everyone's nice in it. Everyone sort of, there are nice outcomes, but I'm not damning it with faint praise. Like it, it that, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. And it, it, the film isn't twee because of that. Like it actually, it's okay to be nice and it, it and have fun with it too. Like have genuine actual laughs. Cause I don't laugh out loud very much when I see comedies. Mm. It kind of takes a bit to make me actually guffaw. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I guffaw it actually, but um, <laughs> you know, to make an audible noise if I find something funny. So yeah, I did hear a couple of times. Yeah, and great. That's, that's good. There you go. Put that on your poster. <laughs> I laughed I, out loud a couple of times. I do think not everything lands, you know. No, I think, no, yeah. I think that um, there's a lot of really great setups that then don't quite peter out rather than leading to the big, the big laugh. Mm. And um, I would say, I don't think everyone would agree with me, but I, I do think that it does fall a little bit into the trap of having race as just being... Um, a colourful group of supporting characters rather than giving those characters their own agency and their own narratives. I think that that's sort of a, a kind of teen movie trope that you could say that this is guilty of. Mm, okay. And there's a weird plot point with a teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, we can... Yeah, yeah. That was a bit, huh, that moment. So not yeah, maybe not a five star, but uh, <laughs> with a good time, I think. Yeah, definitely, and and very um, sex positive movie. Yeah, very much. And um, we didn't mention it's directed by Olivia Wilde. That's her mm. first um, film as director. I thought she did a good job. I yeah, think it's well directed. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Really some... great with the young cast, obviously. Yeah, yeah. There's there's flair to it, I think, in the way it's directed as well. Yeah. Um, so that is Booksmart, and that's in cinemas now. So let's talk about Last Man on Earth, which has just recently premiered on Viceland and SBS On Demand. Um, after having floated around for a, a few years, I think it's built a following in Australia, but it's a, a lot of people haven't discovered it yet. Mm. And 
they really should because it's it's really good fun. Yes, and speaking of Will Forte from Booksmart, plays the dad, is the star of Last Man on Earth, coincidentally. So it's a post-apocalyptic setup, so the hints in the title, um, <laughs> the world, or at least the US, has yeah. been um, subjected to some kind of virus that's killed off most of the population. Thankfully, we're spared any images of rotting dead bodies. <laughs> it seems like uh, basically the the world's just become a playground for one goofy dude. Yep. Um, as you say, it is in the title. He is the last man on earth. And I think in the first episode, he's driving around just, he's been alone a while and is making hay of it. You know, it's, you can... When you're the last person on earth, you can seize all the artworks. You can go and trash some houses and shoot things and drive a camper Yeah, a bit of, bit of wish fulfilment yeah, of what, totally. what you would do if, you know, the world was your oyster. Yes. But, you know, that has its drawbacks too. Mm. Uh, and spoiler, maybe there are some other people around? Don't know. Yeah, I feel like we can give this away because <laughs> it has been around the show for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even though it's it's a really nice moment to be with him when he discovers that he is not the only survivor of the apocalypse. You know, obviously that becomes a real driver of the story, that in the first case he meets Kristen Schaal, who is a much more straight-laced character than him, but does think that they have the duty to repopulate the earth. <laughs> and uh, and he's not sure how he feels about that. Yeah, that might take some convincing. And that's all in the first episode anyway, so that's mm. not a huge spoiler. And even though there are other people, person, whatever, he still feels like the last man on earth as well. So I think like it's it's an internal thing as well as because he can't connect. He's like, he must, who knows? He may have always had trouble connecting with people. So then he is literally the last man on earth, even if he's not literally, <laughs> then uh, he still feels that way as well. And Will Forte or Fort, he created the show wrote the pilot episode. But um, behind the show also is Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. His character's name is actually a contraction of both their names. And people would know them behind things like the Lego movie. Mm. So there's there's a kind of, you know, like uh, a bit of a madcap comedy sensibility to it. Yeah, no, there is. And with a bit of drama too. So it, like it does walk that line well, I think. Yeah, it's... It's a difficult one to sort of categorise because yeah, it's not that one's not laugh out loud funny, but there's a real. It's about the tone, and yeah, I think it. I think it walks that line really well. This is completely not entirely unrelated, but my favourite Twilight Zone episode is the one with Burgess Meredith. Time enough to read. Do you know? Do you know that one? Do you know Twilight Zones at all? I do not. But no. tell me more. Oh, okay, for like old Twilight Zone, where Burgess Meredith is like a misanthrope who people just piss him off, and he's down in a bank vault when a bomb hits, comes up. He's the last man on earth. And he, you know, he's quite happy about that because he doesn't mm. like people anyway. So time yeah, enough pe- at last. People do suck. Yeah, yeah. People are the worst. Um, and he just wants to read. And then it being a Twilight Zone, it has a twist. And it's 60 years old, so I think I can reveal the twist. Um, this has just been spoiler central to I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he breaks his glasses. So oh. He can't read. And he's got an eternity alone. It's the best. <laughs> One thing I think is interesting about this as a sitcom is it's very much a serialised story, Mm. which is a relatively new space that sitcoms are kind of exploring. I think, Mm. you know, the the standard is obviously, and and shows like The Simpsons would make jokes about this, that strangely everything would get sorted out by the end of the episode so that by next week you're back 
reset it to square one again. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, like that kind of rise of the mockumentary sitcom through things like The Office and Parks and Rec still kind of had that self-contained structure, even if they had some running storylines that, that ran through an episode. But this is very much, you know, you can't really drop into episode seven and pick up from scratch. Yeah. And I think uh, this sort of, I would say, helped pave the way for something like The Good Place, which also yeah, sure. takes that serialised structure to the sitcom. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Mm. Um, there are four seasons of The Last Man on Earth and they are all available as box sets at SBS On Demand or you can watch uh, Series 1 on SBS Viceland Friday nights. Yep, so dive in, everybody. Don't be the last man on earth not to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we are talking about Robbie Hood. I always wanted a dad, but instead I got this bloke. You got any money for me? Welcome to my hometown of Alice Springs. It's a hole. So Robbie Hood is inspired by its creator Dylan River's tales of growing up in Alice Springs. And Dylan River is part of Australia's filmmaking dynasty, really. Mm. Um, he's the son of Warwick Thornton, who is the son of Frida Glynn, who launched the Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association, otherwise known as Karma. Yeah. Um, and there's an incredible documentary about her life story. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. I saw that in uh, at the Adelaide Film Festival last year. Great. Um, so... Long story short, <laughs> Dylan River is within this incredible filmmaking family in Australia. And this is his baby. He has created the story of little Robbie Hood, who is a kid in Alice Springs running around with his little gang of tearaways, dodging the police and meth dealers and a bit of a deadbeat dad. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, it's kind of just their adventures running around Alice Springs, isn't it, this, this yeah. story? It is the first series that Dylan River's done and it's very, a, a very assured debut Mm, I I think um, and alongside his father he's a fantastic photographer and that really shows and the environment around Alice Springs is a really rich part of the show yeah Um, I mean beautiful yeah yeah, location to work with as well yeah and Mm. it's it's such a sweet show and and the cast are, are really lovely there's something just really enjoyable about seeing those kids get away with their various scams and hijinks. And yeah. um, and there's a poignancy to it as well, I think, interwoven through you get the the presence of Robbie's mum who has passed away mm-hmm. um, and he has been left with his dad who he has an uneasy relationship with. Yeah. And that, that gives it, you know, a kind of emotional um, heart. Yeah that sort of runs through some of the, you know, jokier kids' escapades. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it it just walks that line, I think, and has the beats that make it work. And we were talking about authenticity. It is. And like it's it's about an Aboriginal kid running a mark in Alice Springs that could be inflammatory for some people and, you know, building on stereotypes, Mm. but it's not. (laughs) And it, it, it is authentic and fun and there's a real confidence in the way this story plays out that, you know, I think any concern someone might have had that this might have been a bit bit off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it really works. The connection to Robin Hood is very, very loose. Yeah, yeah. But I think that he is always motivated by looking out for his friends mm-hmm. so that there's not a sense that he's a rule breaker for the sake of it. You know, it's, it's yeah. about sort of looking after your community, which is really nice. Mm. Um, and it's joyful in, in the way they 
feel connected to family and country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did feel a bit that the short form structure to it. So, you know, it's it's made up of six, six. ten minute episodes. And I would have loved to have seen some of these storylines developed over a full half hour mm. rather than restricted to that format because there's there is a, a little bit of a feeling of as you get invested into a story, it wraps up and and then you're on to the the next one. And I, I felt like you could develop these stories further and, and if you had more space over a half an hour to develop some of these stories, then some of those supporting characters could be enriched as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that it's certainly worth people's time. Yeah, no, no question. So Robbie Hood is now streaming, as you said, six 10-minute episodes are available at SBS On Demand. Week, but obviously uh, any time of year to, to really engage with Indigenous content. There's so much incredible Indigenous storytelling that's that's coming out and NITV is a fantastic home for them. So now it's time to talk about what we've been watching. And Fee, I really want to know, what have you been watching? (laughs) Well, I watched a documentary which is coming to cinemas on the 1st of August, um, but I had a bit of a sneak peek, and it's called Be Natural, and it is the untold story of Elise Guy Blachet. Do Mm. you know that name? No, I do not know that name. No. Well, you should. Sounds like a mouthful. And I didn't, and a lot of people didn't, and this documentary is really setting about to make Elise Guy Blachet a household name because she should be. She is one of the pioneers of cinema. She is the first female filmmaker ever Mm. who has been erased from history, really. We're from France? Yeah. And she was a contemporary of the Lumiere brothers and Georges Méliès. She Mm. was there for the first ever screening of the train pulling into the station and she made like a thousand films. Uh, oh my God. And she's been erased from history. She's incredible. Like this documentary opens your eyes and it's narrated by Jodie Foster and uh, was directed by Pamela B. Green and it's wonderful and it's part detective story because it's just trying to piece together where her films are. Some of them have been lost, but there are a few collectors out there who've preserved some and there's a oh, bit of a concerted great. effort. And the thing is, they're great. Like that, you do see some of them in here and... What we've seen from the early days of cinema where people were experimenting with the form, like I mentioned, the train pulling into the station, that's documentary footage of literally a train pulling into a station. But Elise Guy-Blaché's films were stories, you know, and Mm. and quite fantasy. There's a story of like babies in um, a cabbage patch and there was comedy, like really genuinely funny comedy. There's one film called The Drunken Mattress, which it's literally story of a drunken mattress and it's rolling down a hill. It's really funny. It's great. And this film has a series of talking heads of various stars, A, not knowing who she is, but also seeing some of the films and just realising, you know, she's kind of the first comedy director. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's quite wonderful and I do encourage everyone to see it when it comes out in the cinemas. So why was her story lost? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Mm. Um, And her husband was also a filmmaker. He's mentioned in some history books and... Some of her films are credited to him and other people get credit for her films as well occasionally. And I think it's also who's telling history, um, typically the men, and Mm. it's if you recycling other people's books and, like, if if you're not in the right book, then then you're not going to get retold in someone else's book who uses that first book as a reference and just kind of the way history is documented. If you're not part of the conversation, then you're going to get erased down the track. 
it's an incredible story from France to America. Uh, she made some films in America and uh, built a studio as well. But wow, incredible. <laughs> it is incredible. And it's called Be Natural because in her studio she had a giant sign up for her actors just saying Be Natural. <laughs> so it wasn't this over-the-top, very flamboyant performance, theatrical performing that some other mm. directors were doing at the time and a lot of actors were doing at the time. In silent cinema, of course, this is all yeah. silent. But, um, you know, she was really a, a natural filmmaker. It's amazing. It is a tragedy how much of early cinema and silent cinema has been lost. Mm. And you are reminding me of um, how Georges Méliès, who you mentioned, and this was kind of, you know, fictionalised in Hugo, but how even in his lifetime mm. he was sort of forgotten as being this this great cinema maker, but then, you know, future generations and championed what he did, yeah. which just re makes me realise that, you know, there are other voices in cinema like this who just never got that championing mm. um, by the later generation. So yeah. they, they've sort of been forgotten. It reminds me as well that there were women who were pioneers in the Australian film industry in the silent era who largely were forgotten, like the McDonough sisters, Isabel Paulette and Phyllis, who had great hits. You know, they were real drivers of the Australian film industry early on. But again, because they were women, their contribution wasn't seen to be relevant to those who were creating the history of cinema as, as being driven by male authors so that, you know, we've had to rediscover what they contributed more recently. Yeah. No, it takes an effort like this and um, this film shows the cast of, <laughs> I want to say thousands, not sure, but who are really making an effort to find these films and to just record them and this film is a great part of that process. It's an eye-opener and, yeah, I loved it. So it's called Be Natural, The Untold Story of Elise Guy Blachet and that is coming to cinemas on the 1st of August. Great. So, Ben, what have you been watching? So I've been watching something that I think uh, most listeners will be very familiar with. I'm just going to um, put a shout-out to the most recent series of MasterChef. Never um, heard of it. <laughs> which is in its 11th season now mm -hmm. on 10. And, uh, you know, I think it's fallen from... It's sort of once giddy heights in terms of ratings. You know, it's not doing those same numbers that it once did. But it will predominantly come second in its slot. And I think that uh, in terms of reality storytelling, it's as strong as ever. You know, it had such an influence on Australian television, MasterChef. We'd had things like Big Brother that had introduced the stripped format across a week We'd had things like Australian Idol, which were twice a week, you know, with performance and elimination and had really encouraged that diversity on screen because when you were casting for singing talent, you inevitably had a very diverse pool of talent that you were drawing from. And MasterChef combined the two in, in a way that I think has become incredibly influential for Australian TV. It really celebrated the diversity of Australia through food and SBS has been a beneficiary of that with the MasterChef factory of Australian food talent often being our first port of call when we're looking for hosts for a new food show. <laughs> but, Shout out to Poe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that it's certainly in terms of narrative storytelling stepped up what 
Big Brother was doing, which had its own energy because it was trying to take the events of that actual day and give them to you on screens that night. Whereas MasterChef benefits from a much longer post-production period and so the editing is second to none and, and it's glossy and it's beautiful. And people complain about all the recaps and coming ups, but actually I think that's a very important part of the form because not only does it recognise that viewers aren't necessarily going to come in at the start Mm. of an episode, um, so it makes it much stickier to hold people who stumble across it while they're doing their their channel flicking. But it also gives you space as a viewer to discuss what you're watching, so that's time that you can check out from the screen and, and have the conversation, whether it's with people in the room or over social media about what you're viewing. And I, and I think that it's a real recognition of how social and communal TV viewing can be as, a, as an activity. It's no surprise that reality TV then has gone on to dominate our, our screens mm-hmm. for you know the last 10 plus years. Sort of really it is reality TV and sport as being these communal activities where viewing is something that you're doing with others. Um, live in that moment that has really been the lifeblood of free-to-air television since that time. Mm. So there you have it, a provocative stance on the recaps. Food for thought there. Thank you. (laughs) One thing that I have certainly found is that it's impossible to talk about food on TV without falling to the trap of talking about audiences' appetites. Yeah, right. And the uh, taste of something. Yeah, Unintentional puns. There you go. It's ripe with them. They're hard to stomach. (laughs) I think we need to end this. Well, that's it for the playlist for this week. Make sure you subscribe to the playlist wherever you get your podcasts and give us lots of stars. Leave us a nice review because it always helps people to find the show. And if you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Nguyen TV. I'm on Twitter at anything but Fifi. And the playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, thanks for listening.